Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk to Rosalia and we're going to talk about her fintech business that helps women invest and manage their personal finance. And she's based in Bangkok, Thailand. Long journey for us virtually if you are based in Europe, but if you're in Asia, you're right there. And therefore, I'm very keen to find out more about Rosalia and her story. So how are you today? Hi, Rudy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing very well. Perfect. So, Rosalia, tell us, please, about your personal finance journey and your family background. How did you get to where you are today? <laughs> My personal finance journey is, it's it started, I'll do the summarized version. It started when I was very young. I was actually on my own since I was 14 years old. And so I had to learn very quickly how to navigate my finances. Of course, I had no idea how to do it. it. Everything was based on intuition and everything was really based on making sure I could survive until the next step. I was subsequently able to pursue all of my all of the education. So undergrad, master's, even law school. And what was really surprising about this education journey where one would assume that I would learn a lot, I actually think that frankly, at a personal finance level, I learned even less. And so jump forward, it really wasn't until I was in my mid-30s, pretty senior in my career at the time, that I had a little bit of a reckoning when I realized I just really didn't know enough about my finances. And it had put me in a position where I wasn't able to create the life that I actually wanted. I wasn't able to pursue things that I wanted because I was saddled by student loan debt and I didn't have a strategy to get out of it. So Mid-30s was a little bit of the reckoning, and then I had to go fall down a lot of internet rabbit holes to figure out how I was going to get myself out of a debt trap and how I was going to be able to pursue all of the, the dreams that I had professionally and personally for myself. I see. Sounds exciting. So let's dive into it a bit more because I'd like to know how your background working in fintech and blockchain inspired you to create your current venture, which is called Big C. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the impetus for my fintech journey, unbeknownst to myself, was twofold. Number one, my mother died when I was very young and she was not at all investment savvy, but she did make one really critical investment that truly saved my life. And that was she bought life insurance at the age of 35 years old, not knowing that she was going to die within a year. So I think that was a really big turning point. Another key experience, childhood experience in fintech was I am a very old millennial. I'm one of the, at the cusp of millennials. When I was, my mother's from the Philippines, my father's from Kenya, and my father traveled a lot from work. And he would take me with him because in the early 90s and the 1990s, 
there were no ATMs. It was really difficult to move cash across borders. And so he would take me to basically move cash across borders because as each person is allowed to carry, depending on the country, up to $10,000 worth of cash. So I was a money mule of sorts. So that's like really analog 1980s, 1990s fintech. And those were my first experiences. After that, I became a lawyer. I worked for the United Nations, mainly with people who didn't have a lot of money. And so it really became apparent to me that in order to prevent humanitarian crises and disasters, money played a really important role. So I left the UN and I decided I wanted to work in fintech, not really knowing much about it. I fell into blockchain. Blockchain was really hot at the time. It was like 2016. So given my background at the United Nations and the values of financial inclusion that blockchain has had espoused, I ended up working in blockchain, looking at how to move money amongst migrant communities across Southeast Asia. So that was really interesting. And I really could see a lot of that transformative change that I'd been looking for. And then fast forward after working in blockchain, then I subsequently worked in China, which as for those of you who do not know, China is the global lead hands down in financial technology. They have been cashless for a decade. It is the future. And so I was very fortunate to find myself working at one of the companies under Alibaba's umbrella in fintech. So it was very much the future. And I learned that was really the huge part of my learning curve where I realized that the most important way, the most important thing in fintech is really platforming people. And the more people that trust you and are part of your platform, you can actually take all of that capital and create more capital for all of those individuals while running a successful business. So that was the impetus of the creation of Bixie. I asked myself, who do I know that is eager to be platformed and to be making more money. And of course, that's women all over the world, all of the millions of women that I've been working with prior to that when I was working for the UN. And that was the creation of Bixie. And Bixie is the female feng shui symbol for wealth generation. I see. All right. Let's just be practical and focus on what is the problem that you're solving in detail? What is And why is it worth solving? Obviously, half of the population in the world under underserved by banking, but why? What's yeah. needed that has to be different for women than men when it comes to personal finance? Yeah. So the problem I am solving is women do not invest. That is a big statement. It is unfortunately a true statement. Globally, the numbers range from 1% to 10%. But again, this is for every man that invests and manages their money. There is a fraction of those are women. There are, and the reason for this is the most compelling. So there's a lot of rhetoric around, oh, are they being underserved? Is it discrimination? Perhaps. But one of the most compelling reasons why women are just not investing actually has to do with human behavioral elements. So I happened to do my master's in behavioral economics at the London School of Economics. So I was already primed to looking at the world this way. And so when I started digging and I asked myself, why would... And when we say women, we're not just talking about women who don't know anything about money. I'm talking about senior investment bankers. I'm talking about lawyers, doctors. These are educated women, right? Women, all the women that I worked with at United Nations. So these are people who ostensibly should know better, should be interested in optimizing their gains, but they're not. 
And as an economist, when you see people regularly and consistently choosing suboptimal outcomes, you have to ask yourself, is there a behavioral component to it? And it turns out for women, there is. So there's a few things that make women behave differently than men when it comes to money. And what's really fascinating is there's, is there's anthropological cave versus hunt reasons for this. So one of the things that's interesting is like women lack confidence and it, because they think they lack literacy. So this is all about perception. So the reality is men and women are only about two standard deviation points away from each other when it comes to global financial literacy exams, right? But women significantly underestimate how much they know. And as a result, this confidence barrier makes them not want to execute an investment. When the reality is they know just as much as their male counterparts. Another really interesting behavioral quirk is that when women take financial decisions, and this is cave versus hunt, we tend to talk to other women and we do not want to talk to a financial expert and do not want to talk to a robot. This is significantly different because especially if you're looking at a room where nine out of the 10 women are not investing, don't know about money, and we're only asking the other ones who don't, it's a bit of the blind leading the blind, right? But given that behaviorally, this is really important for us to mitigate our risk, it has to be addressed somehow. And then there's other things like when it comes to return on investment, ROI, women tend to look at more than just the bottom line. They tend to make more value-based decisions about the investments that they want to pursue. And this is where this notion about our financial industries underserving women. Yes, in this regard, yes, they're not providing financial products and services that reflect our values, our preferences, and our priorities. And so these are all this is these are all symptoms of the fundamental problem that I'm trying to solve, which is women need to invest. And this is a $3 trillion market gap. Women are the largest market gap in the financial industry and now in De DeFi. Absolutely. But what is your solution? What is your value proposition? Is this a platform? Is it an education? It's a, is it a community building or all of the above? How do you tackle this? Absolutely. So the problem that we're trying to solve, we are solving it with an application. We are platforming women into a community where we tackle their knowledge gap. We build their confidence by providing gamified learning. We tackle their risk mitigation by providing community also in the app. And then once they're feeling confident and less afraid of taking these risks, we connect them to our marketplace of licensed financial products from partners tailored to how to the preferences and priorities of these specific women. We personalize that journey, obviously integrating AI. And of course we use Web3 for the gamification component. So at Bixi, we provide an app that really takes women along this journey from I don't know what to, I know I need to do something about my money. I don't know what to need to, I need to do. So join Bixie, come on a journey. We'll diagnose you. We'll figure out what goals you have and we'll move you along so that ultimately you will find yourself investing. And we've been really successful at converting women to invest. All right. And do you work with other traditional financial services providers like asset managers and wealth managers and you do you connect them to these to your community or how do you go about actually providing a product that works for women 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a really important part. We Our expertise is really on the gamification, the learning, and the building of community. But we want the financial services and the products have to be provided by our licensed partners. So we work with some big product, some big companies like AXA. Our app is currently available in the Philippines, so we work with the biggest Filipino banking partner. And then we provide them with data on our users so that they can then design products tailored for our users. So we have a symbiotic relationship. Why does this matter? Because one of the challenges, one of the reasons why women globally do not invest is because financial services, banks globally, writ large, and this is not mine, this is the Financial Alliance of Women Statistics, they do not systematically collect gender disaggregated data, which is really interesting. So, you know, all your bank transactions, like all of the banks, all of, nobody in the system has put male or female so that they can start pulling out some of these differences in conversion. So we really help the banks also by giving them this really important data set that they're looking for. And as a result, they provide our users with products that they want. I see. I see. All right. Now, let me follow up one other one, one other point. You said you built a community. It's a platform. Many startups these days want to build a platform, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody is looking at the successful platforms, but not at the amount of the huge amount of work that it takes to get there. And mm-hmm. that leads me to that very famous book on this, which is by Andrew Chen, Cold Star mm-hmm. Problem. So mm-hmm. how did you get to your first 100 members on the community? How does mm-hmm. that work? So the first hundred wasn't the problem. The first thousand was the problem. The first 10,000 really wasn't even the problem. And I say this not because we were so amazing at all. We actually didn't spend anything on marketing. We just spent nothing on CAC. It's that women really are looking for a solution to this. And our timing was right for the market. Right after COVID, the world woke up to this realization that I have to figure out money beyond just my salary, beyond just my paycheck. And so women specifically were looking for things like ours. And so that really gave us a little bit of an edge to market. Now going over this like 10,000 hump, especially post COVID, now that people want more in real life events, we've had to, of course, adjust to this. So really focusing our, on our content and our community and building that trust, that is how we're moving beyond our 10,000 users. And it's not just about acquiring users, it's also about the engagement. And we consistently see our churn is super low, which is startling. Our churn was already at 3% last year, now it's at 1%. So no one is deleting the app. And increasingly, like month on month, there's about a 20% growth in engagement time. So people are spending more and more time on the app. We, all of this just indicates like women have been looking for something that addresses their confidence gap and makes them feel secure and not makes them feel, not makes them feel dumb that they don't know these things. Because again, I, we're not talking about women who don't know things. My main demographic are 33 year old professional or MSME business owners with college degrees and disposable income. Like they know what they know better, but they also don't know where to go to start their financial journey. I see. All right. Let me press you on this a little bit. So what is your unique selling point? Because you said you came out at the right time and you had the right positioning and the initial growth wasn't an issue. But nowadays there are more and more platforms that target women and they discover the same kind of gap, maybe not in every country, or there are 
other financial education gaps or apps which create events as well. And they are serving as a feeder to financial institutions. And they try to include people who were previously underserved. And that could be men as well, but maybe with earlier in their life. There are people who want to invest responsibly. And if you come to a bank X and you say, I just have 5,000 euros, but I don't want to invest in this and that. And they say, look, here's our standard offer. Once you'll have 25 million, then we'll talk to you about tailoring something. So there are all kinds of platforms that help you to do that leveraging technology. So what is your unique selling point following up on what you just said versus the emerging competition? So unique selling point, at least on this side of the world, they're really they're on this side of the world. So East Asia, South Asia, and our next target market is Anglophone Africa. There aren't any, there aren't many things that are targeting women and not specifically when it comes to building community. This really is the unique selling point. Nobody wants to have, particularly our demographic, they're not interested again in just baseline ROI. They're not interested in just learning without the ability to take action. They want that whole journey and they want to do it in a community that feels safe and goal-oriented and along their journey with them. And so I think the fragmentation that you just described, there's tons of apps. Some are, this is where I go and buy stocks and this is where I go and socially connect with people. No one's putting it all together So that a woman particularly can say, I'm just going to go to this one place, Bixie, and I'm going to learn about money. I'm going to talk about it. And then I'm going to take action on it. It just makes it so much easier by removing a lot of the friction inherent to fragmentation, which I experienced when I went on my own solo journey. We're just making it a lot easier for our end user. All right. So I see difference in gamification, as you mentioned, because other platforms, as I said, they do events, they may put out blog posts, which are unique and well-written, etc. But let's talk about that gamification. How does that work? Do you offer a virtual portfolio or what? Do you just start with the basics with the time value of money or what's going on there? So our gamification is very much embedded in this, how gamification learned to earn in Web3. It's interesting that you said that's a unique selling point. For us, gamification is just, it's a currency of exchange among members of our community, right? It's how they basically engage with one another. So our gamification is all about providing financial literacy and users are rewarded for that. They then can take the tokens that they earn from increasing their knowledge and then go and get deals on products, exclusive deals and offers on the financial products inside of the bazaar in the app from our licensed financial partners. And then eventually, as we grow, this becomes the language of exchange and interaction cross-border. And this is something that's really interesting for us because ultimately, at the end of the day, gamification and community building, this is all about inherently building trust and strengthening structures around people who have trust together. And what is that at the end of the day, other than a community or other, or how different is that at the end of the day to any of the institutions around us, like banks or like states or, or like ecosystems, right? So that's what's really interesting for us when it comes to gamification. It's an opportunity for our users to engage with one another, to at the outset earn some rewards, but ultimately we want this to be their currency of interaction and power in their country, across borders and globally. 
I see. All right. So let us talk about an example for the way I would see it is, do I go to your app and I take a test on, I don't know, stock performance of this in this market. And if I get 100 points, I get some tokens and then I can use them as a discount for a fund. Yeah. That is linked to this? Okay. Yeah. But I, I would say before you get into that, so you're already very sophisticated, I can tell. You're talking about getting points for stock performance. For our average user, we like to begin at the beginning. I want them to come into the Bixie app and I want them to take their Bixie number. Your number is the most important number of your entire life. It's based in part on the FIRE number, the FIRE number, financial independence, retire early. It's this notion of what is my number? How much do I need? to never have to work a day in my again in my life. And it doesn't mean you don't want to work. It means at what point am I free of obligations? If you don't know that number when you start university, if you don't know that number when you start your professional career, it's quite detrimental because then you're just aimlessly wandering through life. For me, that's the first step. Come in, learn your number. You're rewarded for learning your number. And then you keep going with your journey. Now that you know what your number is, that means you have a goal in mind. And let's or let's work out how you're going to get to that goal, right? Money is a means to an end. It's absolutely not the end in and of itself. Absolutely. Agree. The truth is also <laughs> you cannot live without money either, unless you are on some deserted island and you catch fish and all, that's all you do. Totally. Right? Yeah. That's why I want people to know their number. It's look, know your number, know what it's going to take for you to live your life. Absolutely. All right. You can't live without it. Okay. I'm also curious about the technology angle here, because you said that you worked in blockchain before, this is Web3, you have a token. So are we talking about an app that you can get on iPhone or Android, etc., and then you get the token? So let's ask a skeptical question. Do you need to run this on blockchain? Do you need to have tokens? Or it can be just like a traditional reward system like you always had with airlines or somebody else? Yeah, no, you do not need to run this on blockchain. And I did that very much on purpose. This is very much a web two with a web three integration in the background. Why? Because women are, we think women are absent from traditional finance. We're basically non-existent when it comes to web three. And I, for one, and many other you know, countries and companies agree with me, web three is the future. We know that everyone's going to, is already migrating to blockchain rails. And I want to make sure that women are future-proofed for that. Yes, it's absolutely available in Google Play and and the App Store, you don't need to do all of the in the complications around trying to get access to the blockchain. I know because I've done all of them. And but by the way, you can also come to the Bixie app and learn how to onboard into Web3 because that's really important and that will be a shameless plug. We do these type of workshops for women regularly. But when it comes to the tech angle, no, we're trying to make a user interface that simplifies um, rather than complicates. So it's the user interface is very much standard web two. And in the back end, we do integrate and we're increasingly integrating with more and more web three elements. All right. Absolutely. I think your dog agrees as well. So that's good. <laughs> All right. Now you talked about your key client demographics, right? Female entrepreneurs, perhaps, or SME owners and in their mid thirties, etc. Let's link this to the initial growth of the platform. You also said, yes, it wasn't that difficult because there's such a gap when it comes to educating women and getting them to invest, etc. But how did you get to this demographics? You said you didn't spend that much money on marketing. So you had your own connections. Did you tell them that this is what I'm going to do next? And please check out my website or 
Did you have live events or how did you get the word of mouth going to get those users in that demographics, which sounds like it's a wealthy demographics that has a lot of money sitting somewhere, which is unused and that's not good for anybody. But how did you reach them? So I think that there was a couple of ways in which we did it. Part of our business model is we work, we have a B2B2C model. We work with enterprises, governments, United Nations agencies, INGOs, and we basically onboard there who are looking for financial literacy and financial growth companies and banks, by the way. So like rural banks or cooperative banks where the majority of the users are female and we onboard their users and the enterprise or the clients we onboard their users, so that's obviously zero CAC, right? And they're already primed to be thinking about this financial journey. When it comes to the wider public, we have live events, these online live event workshops every week. And these really started to, and we collaborate with influencers and like key, key people in the world of personal finance. And that's really how we grew really organically outside of our B2B channels. So what, and particularly we have a couple of really amazing influencers that we worked with and they really brought us a lot of clients. And so that's how we moved to, that's how word of mouth got around. We worked with the right people, the right partners, individuals and enterprise partners beyond just women were looking for this. All right. Understood. So if you want to run a platform, you need to be a social butterfly connector yourself to begin with. A little bit. Yeah. I think. All right. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Understood. I also know that you got some awards, right? Let's talk about that. What is Maya? What is its mission and why winning these awards is significant for you? So the Mayas are the Money Awareness and Inclusion Awards. They are on a fantastic mission to bring awareness to finance projects all over the world, really all over the world, never seen anything like it, that are doing something to include marginalized populations into you know, the big, bad, scary world of finance, right? So immediately we think of finance and we think of a very specific type of Wall Street person. And the reality is finance is just the movement of money. That's what I learned. And everybody really needs to be a part of that. It's for all of our benefit. So this year we won two awards actually from Maya and they were for an amazing project that we did in the Philippines. We worked with AXA, Union Bank, one of the biggest banking partners in the Philippines. Catholic Relief Services is one of the biggest INGOs that was supported by the U.S. government for this project. And we basically took Filipina-owned, so Filipina-owned SMEs and provided them with grants and investments through the Bixi app when they were able to unlock these capital investments by playing games. So they played games that improved their financial literacy, that improved their digital literacy. When they got enough points, they were able to unlock these points and get grants for their businesses, get other investments for their businesses. And then in addition, we're creating kind of credit scoring that would allow them to avail themselves of SME lending from the bank. So everything was just really seamless and the impact was significant. We increased it, we increased this, the bottom line of businesses for 80% of the women. We increased their financial literacy significantly because we obviously were doing baselines at the beginning. We really saw that 
an app, something as simple as an app can make such an impact when a woman is starting business. I know because I'm a woman starting a business. So any kind of support that you can provide that's not only knowledge, but obviously investment support hugely or exponentially increases their chances of success. So we won an award for this project. It was called Rise Resilience Investments for SMEs that empower women. And so we won two of the awards from the Mayas for that project this year. And we are scaling that project in the Philippines and also looking at Indonesia and Cambodia. Wow, wonderful. So congratulations once again. And before I let you go, I just have two easy questions. And one is, what is your favorite business book, if you have any, or if you are more modern than this, do you have any other resource where you go to learn about what you do or what you care about when it comes to your business? At the risk of sounding so old school, How to Win Friends and Influence People is a classic business book because it's a good business book. At the end of the day, as you just mentioned, you know, oh, you have to be a social butterfly to get to acquire users. Oh, you have to have connections to get business deals. Oh, you have to have connections to get investors. At the end of the day, all of that has to do with making friends and influencing people. So I think that's the most helpful business book I've read so far. Fabulous. It's my favorite book as well since early on, because obviously it was published in the 30s, but it still holds true today, right? So Dale Carnegie. Be a dog. uh, Dale Carnegie. And, yeah. yeah, and I think there are 10 recommendations on how to win friends and influence people. And I cannot remember all of them. That's why I don't have as many as Dale Carnegie would suggest. It's possible, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, great book and also great work what Dale Carnegie Institute if you are interested in public speaking and all kinds of things like that, right? What is the best way to reach out? And if anybody wants to find out about what you do or get involved in one way or another, how, how can they get in touch with you? Oh, so many ways. So number one, obviously download the Bixie app. All of our community managers are there. That's the best way to get in touch directly with my team. You can also follow us on all the on the Instagram, the Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Our handle is at mybixie. And please also ch- every Thursday, we have a live event again with the Bixie team. So you can always tune into that. It's always at 6.30 p.m. Manila. Have another one tonight. And these are fabulous. These are really just like workshop events where people, women specifically, we can learn about different parts of money. So tonight we're talking about GameFi. So what is Web3 GameFi? How do women get involved? Why is it good for us? So our thing is not just we talk about stuff. We actually show people how to get onboarded to a lot of these things that seem inaccessible. And then the final thing I would say, the best way to reach out to us is really just join our community. Every Monday we have our own new podcast that drops. It's called Bixie Speaks. And we talk about issues that impact women vis-a-vis money. So we talk about and everything like fertility and finance, money and marriage, all of it. And it's all on the table. And it's just a really great way to understand who is part of our community and to get involved. The, all of those are ways to reach out to us. And I really hope to to see more of more people joining the Bixie community. And I'd love to see the voice of fintech community be part of the Bixie community as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And good luck to you, Rosalia and Bixie. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Have a wonderful day, evening, wherever you are. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you.
Thank you.